Hey, this morning, one of the men from our church sent me a scripture that I would love to share with you. It's Isaiah chapter 51, verse 11. And, and you know what? Normally, I am not a big King James Version guy, but in this case, I think the KJV fits beautifully. Hey, read along with me. Therefore, the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come singing unto Zion. And everlasting joy will be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And sorrow and mourning shall flee away. You know, when I read that, it got me thinking about my joy. And it also really uh, stirred up thoughts in my own soul about this series we're in about taking new ground. And, and I had to ask myself, have I been taking new ground in joy or have I been losing ground? You know, joy is something I have to contend for. I have to fight for in order to take new ground. How about you? And I want to ask you this this morning. Are the boundaries of your life shrinking in this season? Or are you taking new ground? And when we're talking about taking new ground, we're talking in spiritual terms about maybe your love for the people that you're closest to right now, maybe family members, maybe neighbors. Is your, grow, is your love growing or is it shrinking? Are you taking new ground or losing ground? How about your peace? How about your joy? How about your freedom in the Lord? Right now, we have been talking about saying, God, we want to take new ground. We don't want to lose ground during this unique season that we're in. And of course, we've been studying in the book of Joshua because it was there that God's people were, even under adverse circumstances, they were learning to take new ground as they were stepping in to the promised land. So along with them, we're now learning uh, the lessons that the Lord would have for us. So... I was probably about 10 years old and we were about to leave on vacation. And uh, so we had this epic station wagon. You know, it was one of those station wagons that felt like it probably sat about 18 people. Uh, I think it sat nine. It had three rows of seats and it was one of those cool uh, cars that the very back row uh, sat facing out the back window. And which was, by the way, very, very cool uh, if you got to sit there because you got to make faces at the people driving behind you. And so as kids, man, we loved it, man. We called it the back-back seat. And uh, we would race to the car. Of course, you had to get there first to claim your seat in the back-back. And so we were headed out on vacation. The car was filled with people. And because of that, my dad had strapped our suitcases to the top of the old station wagon. And now we're zipping out of town. We're on the freeway. We were somewhere headed out of Los Angeles when I'm sitting in the backpack and I'm looking out behind us, you know, and all of a sudden I'm looking at the road and I'm like, wow, there's, there's clothing on, on the road behind us. And uh, then, you know, it's never a good day when you're looking at clothing on a road and then you all of a sudden recognize Dang it, I think those are my clothes. And uh, so I'm like, Dad, I think we've got a problem. You know, so he pulls over and we kind of go running back down the side of the freeway. We retrieve our clothes. And, you know, even thinking about it today in retrospect, it would have really been a bummer uh, to have lost my life uh, 
trying to retrieve my pair of tidy whities somewhere on the I-5. I mean, that would that would not go well on a grave marker anywhere. Uh, but that is my story. And you know what? Here's here's what we realize when we come now to Joshua chapter five is this, that when you're about to set out on any kind of mission to take new ground, it is a really good idea to double check the straps and make sure things are really buttoned up and secure. That's exactly where the people of God find themselves in Joshua chapter five. Now, you may remember they had just crossed the Jordan River. I mean, they had just finally, after 40 years in the wilderness, they had finally put their feet onto the ground of the promised land. So here they were. But before they launched out to take any further ground, God is basically saying to them here in this chapter, hey, before you go out, I want you to double check some things. There's some things I want you to tighten up to button down because you don't want to see things flying off your life uh, down the freeway as you go forward. So here are the two things that God says in chapter five of Joshua that his people need to check on before they head out to take new ground. First, he's like, I want you to renew your covenant with me. The second thing he says is I want you to take responsibility for your own provision. So let's dive into the text and check out what God is saying to us about both of these things. First, before you take new ground, God says, renew your covenant with me. Joshua chapter 5 in verse 2 says this, At that time, the Lord told Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of Israel, of Israelites. Like, what? Uh, you know, yeah, here's something you need to realize. If you're going to be somebody who's going to read the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have to get comfortable talking about circumcision. Yeah, it's a little bit awkward. But you need to get over it because it was very important to God. And let me be clear that in the New Testament, what we read over and over again is that physical circumcision absolutely has no spiritual value. You just get in, read Galatians chapter 5, and you'll, you'll cap, capture that reality. But even other places in the New Testament, it talks about there's no spiritual value for physical circumcision today. But when we read the New Testament, there are several places where we realize that, that rather than physical circumcision, that God wants to do something spiritual. And there's actually the circumcision of our heart, cutting away that dead flesh so that we can be people of new life. But for Jewish men, both in the Old Testament and actually even on into today, we find that circumcision, well, it's been very, very important. And it was in Genesis chapter 17 is where we read that God goes to Abraham and he makes a covenant with him. And circumcision was the sign that God chose as this very, very unique sign of the seal of the covenant promise that God made with Abraham. At the time of Genesis 17, Abraham had not yet received this promised son that God had said would be coming through him. But God promised him 
and says this, and you can read in Genesis chapter 17, that Abraham, you are going to be the father of many nations. Like, how is this even possible? Because I, I don't have a son that you'd promised me. But God's promise was that not only are you going to be the father of many nations, but Abraham, I am going to be the God of future generations. So we find that Abraham was circumcised and that God does fulfill the promise that he made to, to Abraham. This covenant promise came through Isaac being born. And then, of course, through Isaac and in subsequent generations comes the whole nation of Israel. So God promised new life. And circumcision was to be the ongoing sign to future generations of Israelites that, that this was this miracle promise. And so that was the sign, circumcision. In fact, all the Israelite men from Abraham on had been circumcised. For hundreds of years, this covenant sign had been practiced and it reminded them, God, we are your people and you are our God. So even the men who'd been set free from slavery in Egypt had been circumcised. But now we get to Joshua chapter 5 and we realize that, well, something had slipped. There was a covenant that had not been renewed. And so we read in verses 5 through 7 of Joshua chapter 5, it says, Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of those born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. The Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they had left Egypt had died. So basically all the people who had been circumcised, all the men who'd, who'd been circumcised had now died. And so then it goes on and says, so Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their fathers' places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. So an entire generation of God's covenant people had died off in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And now here's this new generation, but they had failed to renew this covenant before the Lord. So God says, before you move forward to take new ground, you must renew this covenant. So let me ask you, what do you, what do you think this might have to do with you and with me? Well, let me ask you this. Since the time that you put your trust in Jesus, you know, when you came to new life in him, when everything was born again, and you really could say you went into covenant relationship with the Lord, since that time, is anything died? that might need to be renewed. This is possible in any of our lives for that to have happened, including my own life. And it was in the book of Revelation that, that God is speaking to some churches. And, and in, in Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, God is speaking directly to the church in Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians from. But listen to what God says to the church of Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake 
and have not become weary. I mean, man, they're doing some good stuff here. But God says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Listen, here we have really good people that are doing really good things. But we discover that God says you've left behind your first love. That passionate love that you had for Jesus when you first came to him. Now listen, we know that we can get caught. We can get caught up by the world's traps and and we can fall away from that first love. But here it goes even further because it's saying that man, we can even get caught up doing the good stuff and fall away from our first love. I think we can get so caught up in the trapping sometimes of Christianity that we can miss Christ himself. And listen, this is important for all of us to consider, but I think it's especially important for those of you, maybe like me, who actually grew up in the church. Because maybe like like me, maybe your parents were the ones who God really set free from all the slavery they were trapped in. But, but you, like me, well, we kind of grew up in the freedom of the Lord and, and we never had to come out of all, all that stuff. And so now we're standing in the promised land ourselves. But before we can take new ground, we have to make our own covenant with the Lord. What your parents did was great, but now it's up to you. Are you going to covenant your life to the Lord? Listen, I talked about this a little bit from my own story last week. You know, that I'd grown up loving the Lord, grown up in the church, serving the Lord. But it wasn't until really I was about 19 that I would say that I renewed my covenant with the Lord where I stood before him and said, God, you are my God. I will serve you and let nothing else come before you. Jesus, I am making you my first love for life. And what I found is when I realized that, man, there there have been places where I've stopped taking new ground, uh, spiritual ground, what I've discovered is that often it's because I've let other things get in the way of my first love covenant with the Lord. So friends, listen, before we take new ground, we need to think about renewing any covenant that may have slipped, that may have died, any pledge that we've made to the Lord that is yet to be fulfilled. Anywhere where we say, God, I need to renew my first love covenant with you. And that's exactly what God was saying to that generation of Israelites in Joshua chapter 5. But there's a second thing also that God has his people check on and do before they take new ground. You ready? The second thing he says is that they're to take responsibility for their own provision. I want you to read along with me in chapter 5 verses 10 through 12. And it says, While the Israelites were camped at Gilgal, On the plains of Jericho, they celebrated Passover. So this is right, again, when they crossed over the Jordan, they're camping out, and now they celebrate Passover. It says the very next day, they began to eat unleavened bread and roasted grain harvested 
from the land. No manna appeared on the day they first ate from the crops of the land. And it was never seen again. So from that time on, the Israelites ate from the crops of Canaan. So I want to remind you that it was for 40 years while God's people were in the wilderness that every day God provided food for them in the form of this miracle bread called manna. So they didn't have to work the ground. They didn't have to plant. They didn't have to pull weeds. They didn't have to water. They didn't have to fertilize. They didn't have to get their hands dirty, harvesting anything. It just showed up at their door every single day. Um, I think it was even better than DoorDash. Uh, no tipping required. It was like, thanks, God. You got me covered. Woohoo! But now that they were in the promised land, this land of plenty that God had brought them to, remember, a land flowing with milk and honey, God says to them that now you have to get your hands dirty to get your own food. Now God's people had to work to eat. Now listen, when I was growing up, my parents went out, they earned the money, they went to the grocery store and bought the groceries, they came home and mom cooked up the meal and served me all my food. Woo! I mean, can you, can you just remember being a kid? How great is that, man? I just get to sit back, receive, and enjoy. Man, it's so good just being served. In fact, I even, you know, my mom may be watching, but mom, listen, I love still coming to your house and you putting food on the table for me. It's like nothing tastes quite as good sometimes as mom's cooking, right? But that's how many of us grew up. But there came a time when I had to grow up. I had to begin doing these things for myself. In fact, if I hadn't, begun to grow up and do those things for myself, prepare my own work, get my hands dirty and all these things, you know what, I would have stopped taking new ground somewhere along the way. The author of Hebrews gets after this. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 14, this is what the author of Hebrews writes to believers, maybe just like you and me. And he said, you have been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant and doesn't know how to do what is right. Solid food is for those who are mature, who through training, have the skill to recognize the difference between right and wrong. Listen, when someone first comes to Jesus, listen, I think, man, we're just so blown away by the goodness of God. We can just sit there and say, oh, man, I just love receiving the things of God. It's like, oh, Jesus, come on, man, just, just a little bit more. Just, just a little more. Just pour out a little bit more on me. And we're in that beautiful place of just receiving the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the salvation of Jesus, right? This is all so amazing. And, uh, but then we wake up one day and realize that it's like God calls us to more than just receive, receive, receive. He calls us to grow. 
and it's the pathway of discipleship. Listen, it's moving beyond breastfeeding where your mama is doing all the work and is learning to put your hand to the plow to get after it. This is where you and I have to learn, man, we've got to feed ourselves, right? Feed yourself. Get into the word. Be someone who is actually said to be approved by God because of how diligent you are. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy 2.15, where he says, Do your best, Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker. Do you hear that? A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Listen, some of us need to get beyond only making discoveries in God's word. Man, it's so good. Man, we're seeing something new. We need to get beyond only making discoveries and move towards development where we're actually building spiritual muscles and the ability to endure and to serve others and help to bring others to life. And that's how we deploy. And that at Santa Maria Foursquare is how we talk about discipleship. We make discoveries, but we also develop so that we can deploy. And that is like the full circle of discipleship, I believe, right there. This is how Peter writes to us today about this. In 2 Peter 1, verses 5 through 8, read along with me what, what Peter says. He says, make every effort to add to your faith, dot, 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 We'll keep reading in a second, but I want you just to think about those first words right there. Make every effort. In other words, get after it. This is something important. Don't just rely on others to, to feed you, to breastfeed you, to give you that bottle, to, you know, to uh, open your mouth. Here it comes, you right? Listen, there's a lot of great people in our life that surround us. Man, hopefully as your pastor, I'm doing a good job feeding you and helping you and, and challenging you to continue growing in the Lord. And man, if you're a part of a community group or you're part of one of our Zoom discipleship groups that's happening, man, you're getting all kinds of great input and, and people that are willing to walk alongside of you. But you need to be putting in the effort and not just saying, man, I just need, need, need. I just need other people to, to feed me every day. Put in the effort, he says, to add to your faith. And it's like, add to my faith? It's like, I, th I thought faith was it. You know, just, man, put my trust in Jesus and, and I'm all good, right? Well, no, that's, the, that's a great starting place. Our faith is the foundation. We put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus himself. But now look at what it says. We're to make every effort to add to our faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So did you catch that? It says as followers of Jesus, the word to possess these qualities 
in increasing measure, right? That's discipleship, discovering, developing, deploying, so that every day we're looking more and more like Jesus. We're becoming like our Savior and our Lord. That's discipleship. And it says that that's how we keep from being ineffective and unproductive. So what does that sound like to you? It sounds like, man, if we need, if we're going to take new ground, we've got to get after these things and stop only relying on others to feed us. But we have to take responsibility for our own provision, just like the Israelites did in Joshua chapter five, when they realized one day, hey, man is gone. Uh, We've got to get after it. God brought us to the promised land. And guess what? Friends, you're in the promised land now if you've given your life to Jesus. But that doesn't mean you just sit back and receive, receive, receive. If you're going to take new ground, you need to get after it. Make every effort to add to your faith all these things that Peter was just describing. So as we prepare ourselves in this season to take new ground, I want you to consider these two things that we've talked about right here. Number one. Is there somewhere in your life where a covenant with the Lord needs to be renewed? Anywhere you may realize that maybe Jesus doesn't feel like your first love any longer. And today, why don't you take time to renew that covenant with him? Circumcision, not required, except of the heart. And secondly, you can ask yourself this as well. Am I taking responsibility for my own spiritual provision? Or maybe am I relying so heavily on my pastor, my friends, my parents, maybe my kids, that I'm not taking responsibility for my own life to become more like Jesus? Now listen, if if you say, yep, yep, I need to do those things today, we're going to pray right now, but can I tell you that in the Lord, there's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation. He takes us right where we are today and he just welcomes us and says, I'm going to be here and give you my Holy Spirit to partner with you to help you as you make new covenants and get after it in me. Hey, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, thank you that you always welcome us with open arms and in you there is no condemnation. Even when we've gotten it wrong, you don't shame us or guilt us. You just, you welcome us as we come with repentant hearts. And right now, you may want to even repeat this after me. Jesus, I want you to be my first love. Where everything I do comes after my relationship with you. And God, I want to grow to become like you in every area of my life. Help me to take new ground and not be ineffective or unproductive in my spiritual life. Now listen, if you're someone, when we talked today about making a covenant relationship with the Lord and entering into relationship with him. And if you look at your life and say, you know what, I've, I've never made that covenant type promise with the Lord. I'm going to invite you to do that right now. And I believe that there are some that even right in this very moment would say, you know what, today is my day. And so would you join me and would you pray a prayer like this 
right wherever you are right now. Jesus, today, I put my trust in you. I receive the forgiveness that you offer. Thank you for your salvation. I now turn from my ways and run towards yours. Jesus, you will be my God and I will be yours. Amen. Amen. Hey, if that's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer and entered into covenant relationship with God, man, he welcomes you. Whenever we say yes to him, man, God is right there saying, man, you're my child. I welcome you. You're now part of the family. Hey, we have a resource at Santa Maria Foursquare Church that we would like to get into your hands. And you can get it one of two ways. One, you can go on to the homepage of our website, sm4.org, and just put backslash yes, just the word yes, sm4.org slash yes. And you're going to be able to read a fantastic little pamphlet, as it were, that just describes what it means to say yes to God. And then also, how do I keep saying yes to him? And listen, if you'd like, you can even contact our church. If you call us, if you email us, or if you use that virtual connection card on our homepage and just write to us and say, can you send me a yes booklet? Man, it would be our honor to put that in the mail to you as well, because we just want to help equip you as you continue to say yes to God. And every day as you would renew your covenant to the Lord and say, you're my God and I am yours. Hey friends, you're loved and we're going to see you real soon.